five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Oh, oh. 
In the AM. Good morning. Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. It's Friday morning on this 13th of June, day 15 in the month of Sivan. It's Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shlach with candle lighting time at 8.08 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.08, Mazal Tov to those who've completed Mesechus Rosh Hashanah and Dafyomi. Mesechus Tanis begins today. And Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. 66 degrees outside with 99% humidity. Winds are northeast at 8 miles per hour. Thunderstorms with a high of 79. More of the same for tonight with a low of 67. And partly cloudy for Shabbos, a high temperature, 78 degrees. Yushalayim is at 81. We're at 66 here. In Jersey cities, we say good morning at JM in the AM. Plenty coming up here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM, including our uh, weekly update. Malcolm Holmline will join us about an hour from now. Well, a little later than that. Uh, as we discuss the events of this week, make sure to tune in and join us for the weekly update. Great day on the stream at jmtheam.org, including Naomi Nachman's table for two, starting at 9 o'clock this morning, and our amazing Erev Shabbos music stream from 10 a.m. Eastern time all the way until candle lighting. And um, great weekend programming, Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night at 10, and of course Matis with JM Sunday between 7 and 9 Eastern Time, Sunday morning on our stream at jmtheam.org. And next week is a big week. It's our app launch week, our official celebration week for the brand new NSN app, which means you'll have a chance to win some great prizes and to really get involved and uh, enjoy all the different features of our brand new app. Make sure you install the NSN app. On your phone, so you have it in advance for our big celebration week next week, and we are looking forward to it. JM in the AM at 25 minutes before 7 o'clock as uh, we continue with this selection from a um, a CD entitled The Nigunim of the Baal Shem Tov at JM in the AM.
Oh 
J.M. in the A.M., that is from a CD entitled Nigune Baal Shem Tov here at J.M. in the A.M. Ben Sion Schenker before that with Sormi Shalom and Yadid Nefesh. Shwebel Sharf and Levine had Curry Bone. You heard Sormi Shalom done by Lachayim Tish. Yismechu off a CD entitled Shabbos Tish and Regesh with uh, Modani opening things up. And uh, I say good morning. It's Friday, J.M. in the A.M. at 18 minutes before 7 o'clock. Plenty coming up including our weekly update, don't forget. Plus, remember, App Week is next week. It means that we have a big celebration week coming up for the brand-new NSN Nahum Siegel Network app. Make sure to be uh, tuned in all week long for all the excitement. Social media will play a big role in it, and we'll explain the whole thing, of course, coming up right here at JM in the AM. 17 minutes before the hour. As uh, we continue with this uh, selection from around the Shabbos table.
wrapping up hour number one this morning with the Shlomo Simcha. It's called Hatov here at JM in the AM. Before that, Shlomi Daskal, amazing medley off of Shades of Green, Volume 3. Erev Shabbos Parsha Shlach with candle lighting at 8.08. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. By the way, if things go according to plan, next week all of our uh, listeners will have a chance to ask Malcolm Honline a question. We are asking Malcolm to be here next week in studio at JM in the AM. And our plan is to open up the phone lines as soon as he gets here, and you'll have a chance to call in and ask a question about anything that's happening in this amazing world of ours. It's been a couple of years since we've done this. Uh, people want it, and you'll have your opportunity, Bezrat Hashem, next week, literally all the way from when he walks into our studio until uh, five minutes to nine, uh, obviously uh, breaking for Rabbi Yudin and the Torah portion. So that's our plan for next week. More details on that coming up. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmdm.org. We'll talk about Karen Ashvias coming up. Many of you know that we're about to embark on a Shemitah year in Israel. Karen Ashvias will be our topic coming up in a few minutes right here at JM in the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. Galitzal, Ashtayim, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imashakore Ashav. ילדה בת שש נפלה ממרפסת ביתה שבכפר קרה, כתבתנו אורנית פורן. הילדה ששיחקה במרפסת ביתה בקומה העליונה נפלה מגובה שלושה מטרים. בני משפחתה הבחינו בה כשהיא ללא דופק וללא הכרה. פרמדקים של מד"א העניקו לה טיפול ראשוני, והיא פונתה לבית החולים הלל יפה בחדרה במצב קשה, כשהיא סובלת מחבלת ראש ושברים בגפיים. נער בן 17 מאושפז במצב פסיכוטי בעקבות שימוש בסם הפיצוציות נייס גיא, כתבתנו עמית תומר. הנער תושב קלנסווה הגיע לבית החולים מאיר בכפר סבא אחרי שצרח את הסם, הוא קיבל תרופות הרגעה ואושפז במחלקה הפנימית. בתחילת השבוע נפטר גבר כבן 30 בבית החולים הדסה עם כרם לאחר שככל הנראה הזריק לעצמו את הסם. בחודש שעבר נפטר גבר נוסף כתוצאה מהשימוש בנייס גיא בבית החולים איכילוב. תל אביב חוגגת גאווה בצבעי הקשת. קבלו במחיאות כפיים את כל מלכות הדרש של ישראל. בינתיים הנהגים תקועים בכבישים בעקבות חסימות הצירים המרכזיים בעיר נרשמים כעת עומסי תנועה כבדים ברחובות דיזינגוף, קינג ג'ורג' ואלנבי. ממשטרת תל אביב נמסר שגם בנתיבי איילון ישנו עומס תנועה ממחלף לגוארדיה לכיוון צפון בשל משאית שנתקעה. באו"ם מזהירים מפני הסלמה בעיראק ואומרים מאות נהרגו בערים שנכבשו. כתבנו עומר קדרון. דובר ארגון זכויות האדם של האו"ם אמר כי בין ההרוגים הרבים גם 17 אזרחים עיראקים שעבדו עם המשטרה במוסול והוצאו להורג על ידי המורדים. הדובר הוסיף גם כי חלק מהאזרחים נהרגו כתוצאה מהפגזות חריגות של הצבא העיראקי. 
באוקראינה חמישה נהרגו במהלך פעילות מבצעית של הצבא המקומי שנועדה להחזיר את השליטה על ההערים, על ההערים שבמזרח. לפי הדיווחים משם, כוחות ביטחון השתלטו על העיר מריופול מידי המורדים הפרו-רוסיים. אצלנו התחזית, היום ייתכן טפטוף בצפון הארץ, מחר צפויה התחממות. אלה החדשות שערכה חן פישר בצוות אדר קרפיול ואבי כהן.
JM and the AM, we'll get back to that uh, great Shabbos classic in just a moment. Uh, Yaakov Shweki had Kamu Vaneha off the brand new Kolod CD, Shlomo Katz with Hazorim Bidima off of uh, Mole Olam here at JM and the AM. Hey, you know that uh, Jason Katz is celebrating his Ufruf this coming Shabbos tomorrow? My gosh, I'll tell you. <laughs> How privileged I am to be able to uh, make that announcement after all these years. Just unbelievable. A uh, JM in the AM youngster uh, getting set to celebrate his uh, Ufruf tomorrow. So we say Mazel Tov to uh, Jason and to the entire Fine and Cats and Man families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Big Ufruf is uh, coming up tomorrow. And uh, time marches on. I don't know if I would have believed... Uh, 30 years ago that I'd have the privilege of making an announcement like this um, after all this time. So Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And we look forward to uh, the big celebration coming up and uh, participating and uh, just having an amazing time at the big Simcha. Want to remind everybody that uh, this coming Monday here at JM and the AM, Michal Przanski, Michal Przanski, who by the way today is going to be doing his uh, brand new album signing at the Judaica Place on Avenue M, and next Friday at Eichler's on Coney Island Avenue, he will be here in studio this coming Monday in the uh, eight o'clock hour to officially debut his brand new album. Looking forward to that right here at JM and the AM. Uh, Rabbi Shia Markowitz is with us live via telephone. He's a member of the National Board of Karen Hashvias, and he chairs the Munsi chapter of Karen Hashvias. And with the Shemitah year upon us, it is uh, set to start when the year 5775 begins. Uh, they're trying to raise as much money as possible for this partner with a farmer project. He will explain how this works, what it is, and why it's important. Rabbi Shia Markowitz, welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Shalom, and uh, thank you very much for this opportunity and uh, and to be able to let the your audience know exactly what Karen Ashvias is doing to help the farmers be observant in this coming year of Shemitah. Well, let's start from the beginning. It is, uh, in, in fact, in the Torah, in multiple places, that we uh, we simply do not uh, work the land the land of Israel during a Shemitah year, which is every seven years, right? That is correct. Similar to Shabbos, after six days of work, we do not uh, work. We keep Shabbos. HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his Torah told us that uh, we, he keeps, we keep the land for him for six years, and on the seventh year we testify that Kili Kalaretz, is the one that runs the world. And there are plenty of rabbinical authorities across the board who deal with the Shemitah issue in a variety of ways. Uh, the way that you and your organization deals with it is that uh, in order to um, to help the farmers not only uh, make it through financially during the Shemitah year, but also to receive all the blessings that we believe come from above when the Shemitah year is observed, you literally have set up a fund to uh, uh, to go ahead and uh, and help financially support them, right? That is correct, but we don't support them the way they would normally be supported uh, during the years when they work. Well, how does it how does it work? It works as follows. Uh, there's a Besdin that was created uh, with representatives of uh, Bate Dinim from uh, throughout Eretz Yisrael, with the most prominent ones being Rav Shmuel Wozner's Besdin, Rav Nissen Karelitz's Besdin, and the Adaf Haredes in Israel. To 
together with others who sit and judge and who have created a uh, tiered program depending on what the expenses are for a particular farmer, depending on where he's located and depending on what type of product he is actually growing on his land. Now, the land of Israel is divided into the entire land of Israel is approximately 22 million dunam, of which less than 3 million dunam are cultivated area for right. agricultural purposes. Right. Uh, of, the, of that area, uh, a good portion of it is never going to be Shemeshviyas until Shemeshviyas comes, unless uh, things change. It's owned by Arabs and secular uh, the Jews who are not holding by being Shemeshviyas at, at this point. Only approximately a half of the area is in the hands of people who we believe we are able to at least think about getting to become Shemeshviyas. Right. At this point for this coming year, we're hopeful over 500,000 dunam, which is about a third of the privately owned area for, uh, in, by Jewish farmers, will be in the hands of Shemeshvius, and that will be in approximately 3,000-plus farmers. And obviously their greatest concern is is the financial hit that they're going to take for observing Shemitah. That, that is very, very correct. Just imagine somebody who has a uh, any type of factory or any type of business and he's asked to close it down, and after two weeks, uh, he probably would have a lot of agita and just give up. Yeah, We're talking about 3,000 farmers who are making uh, making money, covering their expenses, and at this point, we tell them to shut their door for the entire year. So a sense... It's a mitzvah that's really on the entire Klai Yisrael, not just on the farmers. So understood. So the um, the uh, so Karen Ashvius collects this money, and then the board that you described goes ahead and distributes it based on what a farmer normally would uh, would make, would earn in a typical year. Would that be a... No, no. What he gets is the expenses that he incurs uh, that he has no choice. He's, uh, today you would have to be like a target of Walmart to have a farm. You can't, uh, you can't uh, exist oh, it, with a small farm in today's market. So just the, 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 see the expenses to maintain himself, essentially. Correct. Gotcha. Maintain the farm itself, which gotcha. is the expenses of the lease, lease of the tractors and all of the machinery that he has. And that it's right now being projected at over $22.5 million for the amount of, far, amount of farmland that will be in the hands of Shemeshvias. All right, understood. Rashia Markowitz on our phone line, National Board of Karen Ashvias. So now, aside from the, obviously, from the, the, the spiritual gain and, and that type of, uh, of feeling that you could offer somebody who partners with Karen Ashvias, what, what is the offer? What is the, what is the pitch to people out there to, in fact, participate and partner with a farmer? How does it work? Okay, we have worked with the Bezna in Israel to create a halachically and a dina de machusadina star, which will work both legally and halachically to make a person a partner in the lease of the farmer. The farmer himself doesn't own the land. He leases it from Israel because Israel wants to control all of the development and makes, wants to make sure that the farmers do not develop the land into anything else but agricultural land. Right. And therefore, we become a, we have asked the best in the creative style, which they did, which for $1,000 and up, they will receive a minimum of 1,076 square feet, which is a 10-meter by 10-meter section of the farm, which will lay fallow totally for that particular year of Shemitah, and he will be the owner of that 10 by 10 area. So basically, 10 10 area. you're offering people to be involved in the mitzvah of Shemitah. 
that not only should our brethren go ahead and and make sure not to work the land, but anybody who wants can be a partner in the land that's not being worked. That is that is correct. For the first time, we have the ability to have a legal document that a person will receive, and he will actually be no different than the farmer himself. In terms of ownership? In terms of ownership for that particular year, and it will terminate automatically on the first day of Rosh Hashanah on the following year after Shemitah. Right, the Shemitah year lasts the entire full, complete year, right? That is correct. All right, so, uh, and for $1,000, anybody around the world can do what you just described. That is is 100% true, and that $1,000, if you really look at it, is the cost of a cup of Starbucks coffee, $2.75 <laughs> a day, or around that uh, average cost. And if the farmers have the mysterious nefesh for keeping Shemitah for an entire year and losing many thousands upon thousands of dollars, and they are our shlichim to do this mitzvah, I think that we can ask people, even those that can less afford to do so, to say, listen, I'm going to cut back a little bit and be a partner in their receiver's nefesh for $2.75 a day for 365 days a year. Yeah, by the way, when it comes to Starbucks, I think it would be about 30 cups a year. Uh, Rabbi Shia Markowitz is with us. So here's the story. You know, I'm exaggerating. Don't worry. So here's the story. Essentially, no matter how one wants the state of Israel to handle the Shemitah situation, because we know the rabbinic authorities all and 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 government people all over the place on this issue about how it should be handled. No matter how one may view how it should be handled on a national basis, if someone wants to financially support these farmers and at the same time have an active role with somebody who is in fact making the sacrifice to not work the land during the seventh year, this is an opportunity to do it. In other words, in other words, my unprecedented right. In other words, my point is that no matter no matter where one comes from in in terms of the uh, you know how they feel shemitah should be handled, and again there are a variety of ways. Uh, here's an opportunity to participate in essentially what's at stucca, and also to have a star, to have an actual document that that tells everybody that I am an actual owner of land in Israel. Yes. And it's it's a mitzvah chaviva, a very beloved mitzvah, because the mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael, our zechus and our merit of being able to be in Eretz Yisrael, is very much tied into, according to the Torah, tied into Shemitah observance. Right. And I know that there are many stories about those who observe Shemitah, and that our tradition tells us that uh, that many wonderful things happen when Shemitah is observed. Um, whether it is a biblical commandment at this time, a rabbinical commandment at this time, not even, you know, either of those could be debated forever. Uh, and they're, like I say, they're halachic authorities all across the board. But, uh, uh, certainly we know that, uh, that is, a, it, it's an important element of our tradition, that's for sure. Um, Rabbi Shia Markowitz, how do people do this? How do they go ahead and, uh, take a thousand dollars or whatever number of dollars they want to take to, uh, uh, to go ahead and uh, support Karen Ashfiyas, how do they go ahead and do it? Well, they can do it one of several ways. Uh, we have a, a phone line, 888-675-6694, where people can call in and say they would like to partner with a farmer, and all that information will be given to someone who's on the phone, or they can go directly onto the web at karenhashvias.com. Hashvias is spelled with a double I at the end. That's K E R E N H A S H V W I S dot com. 
And the office is at 4520 18th Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, 11204. 4520 18th Avenue? 4520 18th Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11204. All right, so 888-675-6694 is the phone number, 888-675-6694. KarenHashvias.com, or you could send your partnering with a former... Uh, a payment so that you can, in fact, be a, uh, an owner of a section of land in the land of Israel. 4520 18th Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. The zip is 11204. I think that, and again, I'm, I, I alluded earlier to all the different um, uh, directions that people take when it comes to the whole Shemitah situation. It's not, it's not as simple as what we described this morning, but it's not really our topic this morning. We're talking about how one could partner with a farmer under this system that you've described to us. But I, I think one of the concerns, one of the things that frustrates people is that it does seem that because of the direction that uh, exists through Karen Ashvias and, and other uh, uh, you know, efforts like this, it does seem that um, Israel and the people of Israel end up purchasing a lot more produce from non-Jewish sources, even possibly from people who are not friendly neighbors with Israel. And I think that, and, and not that I need you to respond to that, frankly, but I think that that's one, you know, people may be wondering, like, why would someone hesitate, you know, to be completely in favor of all this? And I think that's one of the things that uh, that bothers people. Is that is that an issue that you address, or is that something... It is an issue we address, and basically we say that Clearly, everybody understands that the mitzvah is the Shaf Sahar at Shabbos Lashem. That the more land that lays fallow is a bigger, is a bigger kiyam of the mitzvah of the Torah. And giving the land to someone else to work who is not Jewish and getting the produce from him is still a lessening in that concept of a Shaf So by doing it through the Karen Ashvias method, we have much more of the land being being fallow, so that that mitzvah of is being mekuyim in a much higher level. Right, with the goal, I guess, uh, from your standpoint, being to sponsor as much of that land as possible. Yes, and uh, and we we sponsor the land with farmers who one have shown over the uh, many decades that they are ca- capable of being shemitah observant, and we're expecting an additional six to seven hundred farmers to join us this year. To be Shemit observant for the first time, right? And and because I have a tendency to emphasize the positive, although some may not agree with that, uh, we should mention. And this I remember from seven years ago, fourteen years ago, and at this point, probably twenty-eight years ago. Um, a good number of the farmers who are cooperating with what you're doing are not uh, Torah observant. Are not are not people who generally are uh, you know enveloped in the world of Torah and mitzvahs. That's correct, right? Not. Fully, uh, right. we have a basic halacha from the stipler who said that anybody who is not capable of keeping Shabbos will have a very difficult time keeping 365 days of Shabbos. And therefore, our, the mission of Karen Ashvias is really to partner or to get farmers who have at least the basic concept of Shabbos yeah. and sh- and in, their, in their portfolio right. before we are going to rely on him that he's actually going to be a, t- a true Shomer Shvius. Yeah, I understand that. I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm, I'm praising the fact that these efforts sometimes, uh, you know, ha- adds a little Kirov to the uh, to the uh, whole thing as well. You know what I'm saying? 100%. Many of the farmers who were very low on the totem pole of being Shomer Torah Mitzvahs, right. today are sitting 
for the entire year that they cannot work actually learning in a colo somewhere and uh, growing spiritually. So many of them are using their off time wisely during the year. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Like, like we, we are supposed to be Baal which some of the Rishonim say this is a similar situation of Shemitah, to give us, say, in the time of Golis, the concept of what it would be like when uh, Mashiach actually comes. Right. Well, uh, I just, uh, I, I would love to, uh, I'd love to see everybody out there respect uh, all the different positions when it comes to um, uh, how to deal with the Shemitah year, and uh, I'm glad we were able to discuss this one this morning, which is the approach of Karen Hashvias and the work that they are doing to literally uh, have a binding contract that allows one uh, to be an owner in land in Israel uh, during the Shemitah year. Information about all of this, you could accept, uh, Rabbi Yeshia Markowitz and his staff will be more than happy to explain all of this uh, privately on the telephone at 888-675-6694, 888-675-6694. That's Karen Hashvias headquarters. Uh, you can also go to the web, karenhashvias.com. And as we said earlier, if you just want to send a check and be part of this effort, it's a 4520 18th Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, and the zip code is 11204. Rabbi Shia Markowitz, I thank you very much for joining us this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I wish all of Yisrael a a great year of Shemitah, and that we should be zocha to the coming of the Messiah. Amen. National Board of Karen Ashvias member of Ashia Markowitz, this is JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. in Komcha from Leiv Vanefesh, 23 minutes before 8 o'clock. A reminder, we have App Week coming up, big App Celebration Week coming up next week here at J.M. and the A.M. and jmandtheam.org. Uh, it all starts Monday morning. Make sure you have the brand new J.M. and the A.M. app in uh, your phone. Or I should say it differently, make sure you have the brand new NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app in your phone. That is the one you want for the uh, big app week launch. NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app in your phone. For the big week, it starts on uh, Monday. And speaking of a big week, it'll wrap up next Friday with Malcolm Honeline live in studio. He's going to be here to take your questions. We'll open up the phones. You'll have a chance to ask Malcolm Honeline whatever you wish. Uh, here at the JM and the AM. We are looking forward to uh, your questions next week, starting at about 7.40 in the morning right here at JM and the AM. So get set for that. Think of some good ones. We'll try to do it all the way until our closing theme next Friday morning here at JM and the AM. Coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, it's, of course, Naomi Nachman. She has an amazing edition of... Uh, of a table for two. She'll have Michael Glickman from Long Island's barbecue competition. They'll chat about the categories the teams will be competing in. And they'll have details about the family-packed action that will be taking place. And Moishi Schoenfeld from Ossie's Fish has tips on cooking fish and easy pre-made fish suppers that are available at stores across the tri-state area. She'll have all of that between 9 and 10 this morning right here at jmandtheam.org. Malcolm Honeline coming up with the weekly update and plenty more about Yudin at 815. And as I say, plenty more. Michal Przanski, who today is doing an album signing at Judaica Place on Avenue M in Brooklyn, New York. Here he is brand new at JM and the AM. And he'll be here Monday sharing the 8 o'clock hour with us this coming Monday with his brand new music. Michal Przanski coming up at JM and the AM.
gold wag. That's Manucha Vesimcha. Michal Przanski before that. He'll be here Monday, hour number three Monday morning, to officially debut his brand new CD. Looking forward to that. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. Malcolm Honeline coming up next. Malcolm is here next week. If everything works out schedule-wise, he'll actually be in studio next week, something we have not done in quite a while. Um, he'll be taking your questions. We will try to open up the phone lines as soon as he gets here next week and go all the way until uh, 8.55 next Friday morning, breaking, of course, for Rabbi Yudin. That's our intention, give everybody a chance to uh, speak with Malcolm on any topic and obviously to ask whatever questions you have. We haven't done this in a couple of years. It gives us an opportunity to really open up the lines and to hear what people out there have to say and what is on your mind. So make sure to be tuned in a week from today and to participate by joining with us a week from today in what will be an interesting call-in show with the uh, head of the Conference of Presidents. Erev Shabbos Parsha Shlach with candle lighting at 8.08 on this Erev Shabbos. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our incredible 24-hour live stream at jmnam.org. If you're looking for thousands of amazing articles about everything going on in this world of ours, especially from a Jewish perspective, go to JewishWorldReview.com and start reading. You might be there all day <laughs> or all week. Mazel tov again going out to Jason Katz. His Ufruf is uh, happening tomorrow. Unbelievable. And we say Mazel tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. And, of course, to the Fine and the Katz and the Mann families, a very special Mazel tov. I was in touch with Robert this morning. And um, he is, of course, looking forward to the big event tomorrow. And we get to celebrate together at the big wedding coming up. Unbelievable. Mazal tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And just remind everybody that they can't call collect next week. <laughs> we wouldn't make you pick up the tab anyway. <laughs> We're so magnanimous in that way. So how did uh, Eric Cantor blow the uh, congressional primary? Uh, how would you analyze it first? We'll talk about Israel and his support and how important he is to the Jewish community worldwide and all that in a moment. But how would you analyze it strictly from a an American political science point of view? Well, as you said, it's, it's sending shockwaves and people are analyzing. Did he not devote enough attention? Did he, um, did he get too Washington-oriented with his... Uh, national responsibilities as the majority leader uh, was his uh, opponent able on on a couple hundred thousand dollars to compete against him at five million dollars by manufacturing these these arguments against him uh, on immigration issues and other things and there's also uh, apparently a crossover vote by Democrats uh, perhaps tens of thousands also his his district was redistricted, mm. and he had much more of a, uh, a rural area in, included in his district. So this was a different district than the last time he ran. So it had changed. Uh, his polling indicated up until the very last minute that, that he was uh, way ahead, and I think he may have uh, said that in view of that, he could devote more time to his national responsibilities, uh, congressional responsibilities, and the, the district... Uh, 
himself that, that I guess that he wasn't home enough. Now you've spoken and you have, uh, I mean, over the years certainly, but even over the last few months, you've pointed out different personalities around NORPAC time. We had an opportunity to discuss this. Different personalities who are really there in Congress for Israel and for items important to us uh, over the years. I mean, he's, he has got to be at that top level in that category, no right? No one better. No one better. No one better than Eric. And, you know, he was the sole, sole Republican Jew, by the way. Right. Uh, and he uh, he was a leader in every respect. He stood by his beliefs, his principles. I don't think he cared whether, you know, how popular it made him or not. He won because of people's confidence in him and his colleagues' confidence in him. But his stands on the issues that really counted were, for us were really uh, always consistently outstanding. So when you first heard the news Tuesday night, I mean, it, when people asked you your reaction, it was not just a personal reaction. Obviously, you know him very well and all of that, and, and, and you're praising him the way you are. But just on an international scale... There was a there was a shockwave. It's a shockwave, and it you know has obviously implications. You have the twenty the elections coming up uh, this year, the congressional elections in November. Uh, does it and and the question that everybody's speculating: Does it force candidates to go to the right? Do they does it kill the possibility of immigration reform? Does it you know send the message for twenty sixteen? Obviously, all of these things people speculate about and and go beyond just the individual race so we don't know whether this is uh because of some uh, of a local phenomenon or does it have broader implications because lindsey graham on the same night trounced a a tea party opponent uh many people thought certainly earlier on that he was vulnerable who's going to take his position in uh, congress eric Cantor? it depends who uh Kevin McCarthy will will, that, will replace him. Who, he's a good guy. He was very close to to uh, Eric Cantor, and uh, his opponent uh, Sessions from Texas uh, dropped out late last night. All right. So, um, and, and and again, we always emphasize that congressional support for Israel is usually there. In fact, we could talk about it this week with uh, the different things that we're reading about regarding the brand new PA and the congressional attitude toward funding the PA. Um, so all in all, I know that this isn't great news, and you've described for us the type of friend we've lost in Congress. But big picture, what would you say? You know, we we, we will persevere. We will, what, what would you say? In oh, terms? The support in Congress remains very strong. It's, it's truly overwhelming, and it's not dependent on any individual. Although an individual can, especially in a leadership position, be very helpful on uh, in a range of ways. Uh, as he always was. So the policy, I don't think, will be impacted. The uh, the margins, when you have votes on Israel, it's usually 80%, 90% of the Congress uh, supporting them. Right. All right, and speaking of elections, let's go to the one that was in Israel this week, maybe not as significant. You'll, you could tell us, in fact, if you think it is. Uh, Ruby Rivlin is now the president of Israel, and in many ways not unexpected because he was uh, a serious candidate and somebody who I don't think anybody would be surprised that he actually won the thing. What was with the last-minute jockeying? Was uh, Did anything happen that propelled him to the top in the end in terms of how things worked in the Knesset or... Anything special in terms of what was going on at the last minute? You know, there's so much uh, dealing and wheeling and dealing and uh, interaction during the presidential races. As you know, in the past, other candidates who thought they had a majority of Shimon Peres in the past, uh, only to find out that, that it wasn't there when it came to the actual ballot. Right. So like 
they used to say about the Israeli public. It seems that the Israeli Knesset it tells the truth to the pollsters <laughs> and lies at the vote. <laughs> Even so there, huh? And it is a secret ballot, so they could do whatever they want. Once and it it's is a re- popularity contest to a large degree. It's also a vote sometimes, let's say, against the, the prime minister. If he backs a candidate and people want to have a protest vote, or it can be over certain issues. Uh, and as you know, the prime minister and Rivlin had a very fraught relationship. They have agreed to put that behind them and to work together. And, and your, your question, uh, the premise of the initial part of the question, is one that's widely held about the significance or lack of significance. I do believe it is significant because the presidency is a bully pulpit. You, 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 the president is a unifying force. It's seen as perhaps uh, has the most positive reviews by the Israeli public. And the person in the office can use it for good, for bad, but uh, for uh, extensive more extensive uh, and activist engagement, like Paris did, or less so as some of his predecessors. Heim White, uh, Weitzman was also an activist president. I think Vivian Herzog, Heim Herzog was. Uh, the, the, the individual really shapes the nature, despite whatever legal limitations and the, and the fact that it's a figurehead. Uh, in, in the president gets to speak to world leaders, to prominent personalities. He hosts them. He, he engages them. Uh, the, he can play an important role in being a link to diaspora communities. Shimon Peres had all those the, the annual conferences in his honor. He had the, you know, he, he received prizes, Nobel Prize, other prizes over the years, uh, and he enjoyed a, an international stature, which will continue. We'll see how, what role he will play. Uh, and Rivlin, who has, uh, as a lawyer, was speaker of the Knesset, has a long history of involvement. His family came, I think, in 1809 to Israel. His father was a Middle East scholar. Uh, I think he was the first to translate the Quran into Hebrew. Uh, and uh, he's always been very proud of his uh, Yerushalayim heritage. He's been close to many in the religious community, religious sectors of uh, Israel. Uh, he served as in Sharon's government. I think he was communications minister, as I recall. Uh, so. He you know, this is not a novice in the political process. He doesn't come from outside. He comes from within. And obviously he got 63 votes, more than half of the Knesset. Tens of items on his resume you just cited. Tens of items, and you left out the most important one. Who's he related to? Cousin to Matis Weingast. Oh. <laughs> I figured there was something. <laughs> you're some, a, you're some a significant <laughs> historical aspect. You're unbelievable you pick up on these man. things. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how you pick up on these things. Well, with that having been yeah, said... 36,000 relatives of the Rivlin family estimated to be in Israel. And Matis told me there were only 20. I can't believe it. And that he was one of them. Just kidding. So with all that having been said, if if somebody did not like the politics, so to speak, or the political background of a Shimon Peres, will they like the political background and politics of a Ruby Rivlin? Oh, yes. it's, it's They're vastly uh, different in, in many respects. Um but his politics, yes. And what is it? You know, he opposed the disengagement from Gaza. And ended up voting that way or had no vote? No, I think he voted against it. He did vote against because even Bibi, you recall, voted for it in the end yeah. to go along with the government. Um, uh, and is it five years or seven years? Seven. It's a seven-year term? Right. Now, it used to be two five. Now it's a seven-year Ah, so that's what it was. So it was two. So when I, when I thought of five, that was... Uh, that was, in fact, correct. Now it is a seven-year term for President of Israel. Was, again, speaking of President of Israel, there was this prayer meeting with the Pope 
in the Vatican with Abbas and Perez, right? And anything come of it? I mean, because I, I saw, I, I don't know, that the whole exchange or the whole greeting, the whole encounter between Paris and Abbas there with the Pope, uh, the, 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 I don't, they seemed like best friends. It, it came off to me as uh, a little disingenuine compared to the friction that is now being held between Israel and the PA. Look, uh, uh Perez has known Abbas for now for a long time. They've met many times. The, um, this was an invitation extended to him and not to Netanyahu as a, as a titular head of, of state. He's not head of government. Right. Uh, Abbas, I don't know what he's the head of right now, given that you have this interim <laughs> regime. He's still president of the PA. Right. Uh, but many people question you know, who the authorities are. We see the growing power of Hamas, which we will uh, talk to, but... And, and interestingly, the, the, one of the Hamas spokesmen, a former spokesman, uh, uh, said in a video that was released that the, that Abbas told them, don't listen to what I say to the Americans. This is, I'm trying, I'm tricking the Americans. Just th- listen to what I say to you directly. That's right. all that counts. So, the idea that, that given all that has happened in the last weeks, that, uh, Paris went ahead was criticized by, by many people. Others said that it was legitimate that uh, when the Pope extends a public invitation, you don't turn it down, and then Israel looks like they are the obstacle to peace. So the the uh, you know it's a sort of difficult choice for. But I wonder how Bibi would have handled it if he was there. Well, I, I, he, uh, the president uh, Paris twice embraced Abbas. I right. doubt that Bibi would have done that. Right, that's what I would assume. It's America's one and only Jewish. Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. The big news is that next week, Malcolm Honeline plans on being in our studio here at JMNAM. It will afford an opportunity to anybody out there who can get through to call up and ask a question, make a comment, uh, discuss with Malcolm whatever you wish. We'll try to start that as soon as he walks in next week, and we'll try to take it all the way until the end of the show, uh, breaking only for a Bayudin. It's an opportunity we have very rarely. I think the last time we did it was a couple of years back. And um, we'll uh, present that next week and to give everyone a chance uh, to go ahead and participate in this process. All right, so I was going to ask you about that. When you hear Abbas... Or when you hear somebody from Hamas say that, in fact, that's what Abbas claims to be doing, to be saying one thing to the world and obviously giving a different message to Hamas and other members of his unity government, what do you think? Well, yesterday, 88 senators wrote to President Obama saying that they were gravely concerned about this Palestinian unity government, so-called. Hamas rather than being isolated in Gaza, is now becoming much more active in Yudun Shamron, in the areas of the PA, in the West Bank. They're trying to create an alternative Dawa social and cultural movement. They're building the infrastructure to eventually enable them to replace the PA government. They're allowed now to hold public rallies, public events, and police do not interfere, although there have been public clashes, there have been some security arrests, even just in the last few days. Uh, the members of the Senate indicated they're going to review the aid because you know, a poll comes out this week and shows that 56% of Palestinians opposed any talks for peace now with, with uh, uh, Israel. Uh, the United States said to Abbas that, that he's got to be held to account now for the rockets or 
I would say perhaps a little bit less than that, did say to him that he has to act against the rockets that are being fired from Gaza. Once again, we had uh, one, the first since this new government was in, in place, and the IDF uh, or the Israel Air Force actually responded and, and took out a, a terrorist. Um, the, 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 I raised last week one of the issues uh, in the quartet conditions is disarmament that the PA and the Palestinian entity will be disarmed. Well, then the Gaza now is a violation of that. Right. Given the tens of thousands of missiles, some of them with 80-kilometer range, there were, uh, the chief of staff, I think, this week said that there are perhaps 10,000 missiles, long- and medium-range missiles that are, are aimed at Israel uh, from, from uh, Gaza. And if the PA is living up to the requirements, as they said that they accepted this, this interim government, technocrat government accepted the conditions of the quartet, while they should be moving very quickly against these these rockets. And they have to be held to account by the international community, uh, otherwise the, the sham is, is, exposed, uh, is exposed right away. We see how they're going after Australia for, because Australia is you know, said they're going to drop the use of the term occupied in regard to territories in East Jerusalem, uh, which they spent a lot of time explaining this week as a, a, to counteract the reaction to it, the negative reaction on part of some. Uh, but but nobody reports that Ismail Hania, you know, the head of Hamas, mother-in-law, came to treatment in Jerusalem <laughs> for cancer. Unbelievable. Last year, his granddaughter came. That, we remember, we discussed. And here his mother-in-law, while he's threatening to destroy Israel again, his mother-in-law comes for treatment. And Israel has these compassion laws, which, you know, and thousands, thousands of Palestinians are coming to Jerusalem hospitals to be treated. And the, the, the international media just dismisses, even to the sense that this is such a, uh, an unusual story or ironic story that, that he would uh, allow this take place or a story that wouldn't take place in any, in any other country in, in no other place exactly. um back to for a second so israel goes in after this rocket attack as you said the iaf uh um uh, flies into gaza right i assume they destroyed something on their on their way in right they killed a, a terrorist they killed a terrorist About no and now tell me if i'm wrong no international condemnation right don't you find it interesting that israel was you know immediately responded Felt it was responding uh, properly, which I think most people would say they were. And, and there was, what, am I right? There was no international condemnation. There was no reaction to it of Israel yeah. for responding and defending itself. Usually, I'm saying, but no, of the right. attack and the fact that a rocket was launched. United States did, as I said. No, I understand, but the international what, community, of course, won't. No, I know, I understand, but I'm talking about the Israeli reaction. In other words, normally you would see what you would see. You would see somebody coming out with a statement against Israel for reacting the way they did uh, to this rocket attack. Well, for one thing, Israel made very clear what it was going to do, and that underscores the need to draw the red lines and to uphold them. That the international community, when they see that you're acting consistently and in accord with with uh, international law, because when you are attacked across an international border, which is the border between Gaza and Israel. Mm-hmm. Is the character of the, that that border governed by international law? They have a responsibility to respond to stop uh, uh, the firing of of uh, rockets. So the international community, I think, will be muted. Also, there were no civilians hurt, and there was nothing else really that they right. could do. And I don't think the international community has much sympathy when they see what's happening now with the ISIS uh, and all that. I think right now, 
they're not coming to the defense of all right. Terrorists. So, so the uh, the PA in Gaza, uh, you'll first of all, will they ever have control over what's going on in Gaza, and what will they tell the world now? The PA is now going to tell the U.S. that they will establish control by when? Um, I don't think that they give themselves deadlines. They only give Israel deadlines uh, that they will. I'm sure that they will issue statements saying that they will respond to it. The, the truth is, though, that Gantz, the chief of staff, spoke this week, you know, and, and talked about the huge increase in number of medium and long-range missiles uh, with much more accurate GPS guidance systems, meaning that they, when they fire them, they have better ability to come closer to the target. Most of them hit in the desert, which may be, in fact, what some want. But the the uh, they're. They're continuing to try to big build tunnels, and they're going to use t- tunnels and rockets as a, as a threat, and that's what Hamas and Islamic Jihad, and Hamas says, well, listen, we're not the government. We're, we agreed to this government, but it's an independent technocratic government, as they call it. Uh, the international community in the, in the United States and the lead has to say, this is good. they're going to be held to account, and Israel will do what it has to do and must do it, uh, and whatever steps to take out these 10,000 missiles, I think is, is uh, essential, but the international community, you know, does not mobilize one of these things. And in terms of reality, you believe the PA will never be able to have control over what's going on in Gaza? There's no evidence right now that the PA can, can control it. They're having a big fight, as you know, over the, between Hamas and Fatah, over the 40,000 former Hamas employees in Gaza of the government, of the Hamas government. There are 70,000 employees of the Fatah government who have all along now, for all these years, been collecting yearly salaries to remain idle. But they didn't want to remove them because then that would have meant that essentially they were giving up their claims and their the ability to control. So you had tens of thousands of people sitting there, 70,000 Palestinians of, of, from Fatah. Now you're going to have 40,000 more, and they balked at paying, and Hamas you know, already is threatening. But at the same time, Hamas is moving ahead. We shouldn't delude ourselves that they're not taking advantage of uh, of this opportunity and uh, trying to establish itself. And then they look at what happened in Iraq and elsewhere, and I'm sure it's got to be a source of encouragement for them. Talk about Americans in Iraq in a moment. Just um, when the uh, uh, when Congress goes ahead and warns the U.S., I'm reading from this uh, a Jerusalem Post article, leaders in the House have written a letter to U.S. President Obama suggesting a pact with Iran restricted to its nuclear program is not enough for the chamber to lift sanctions on the country. Do you agree with that, that Congress can't move under those circumstances? That, they, that Congress can't move? That Meaning they wouldn't be able to uh, to lift sanctions under those circumstances? I think that... Uh Congress can make it far more complicated, can exercise its prerogative, its, and its essential role, that there are checks and balances. They can. I think they can make it uh, harder to lift, uh, to lift sanctions. And, and I can tell you that the mood in Congress on both sides of the aisle is, is very tough. Uh, you know, nobody, they don't want to have a confrontation with the president, that, uh, an unnecessary confrontations, and that applies to Iran issues and other issues as well. But, when Congress wants to act and wants to exercise its prerogatives, it matters. Right. So it seems that there's no agreement that Congress will ever that, that Congress will ever recognize as strong enough between the U.S. and Iran to lift sanctions. That that's the, Congre- the congressional message to the White House. 
they're saying that the deal that they hear is is not enough to lift sanctions. And remember, they don't know there are direct negotiations going on between Iran and the United States. They were informed of it. Israel was informed, but they don't know what's actually taking place hour by hour. You know, they spent five hours Monday alone in direct negotiations, and that is in addition to a second track of, quote, private citizens, not so private, uh, who are having talks in Sweden with the uh, Iranians. So Congress uh, is is putting down a marker, an important marker, and the, the um, you know, they're, they're reacting to some of the statements that the Iranians are making that, A, the ballistic missile program is not on the table. Well, if you don't have that, one of the three key components in a nuclear weapons program on the table, if weaponization is not on the table, and now we're only dealing with enrichment where they have 19,000 centrifuges in place, of which I think under the agreement 10,000 are operative. So the French foreign minister yesterday came out and said they can have 100 uh, operative. They're saying we want 50,000 operative. And if we don't draw the line in the sand and we keep moving the goalpost, that's why we have so little confidence being evidenced by our allies, former allies, our Gulf and the other regions, because they see that none of the red lines mean anything, that we keep moving it. The, the IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, said that their missiles now can hit Bahrain, it can hit uh, Diego Garcia, that they can hit southern Europe, they can hit uh, many places, and eventually will hit the United States in, in a couple of years. The, um, the United States and Israel reached an agreement where they would be, quote, no surprises, unquote, and they sent uh, Bill Burns, a, a career diplomat, a very good man, to, to Israel to brief them on the direct talks that, that were going on. Uh, they feel, I think, that if you take it out of the context of the P5 plus 1, one, you eliminate Russia and China, but the, the United States is the key interlocutor, and the, the, so... The, the direct talks could be more important than the P5 plus one. Obviously, setting the stage would need their approval. I think the differences are still great. The fear is that we end up with a bad deal or no deal and extend the agreement as is provided for for six months. But do we lift any more sanctions? Or, contrary, because to show that they're not co cooperative, do we impose new sanctions? Congress is sending a strong message, and, and we know the votes are, are there. They're overwhelming, in, in fact, and I think the alert from Iraq will, will put people much more on notice <coughs> about the seriousness of, of, uh, of this time and of the decisions uh, that are being made. But this congressional pressure never seems to have an effect on the presidential opinion when it comes to sanctions and how to deal with Iran. No, I think it, it may not be visible, but the president certainly cannot ignore or put aside the, the, the sentiment of Congress because they can. And if they have enough votes, they can override a veto. They can impose their will as well. It's true the president holds the cards, especially in negotiations, and uh, has the bully pulpit and can do a lot. But relationships are not that great. But Again, I know and I've talked to many senators and congressmen, people don't want to have a confrontation, right. especially on such a sensitive issue at such a complex time. Yeah, and politically... But that does not mean we should never diminish and dismiss the influence that Congress has and can have when they want to. Um, and then, and this time of year, with the as you described earlier, primary season coming up, or in some places in the midst of it, and of course the midterm elections coming up, 
uh, you know, a lot of these factors can be very, uh, very sensitive. and negatively. Right. It can be very sensitive. How dangerous is it to be an, Ameri- an American in Iraq right now? It's not, it's not healthy to be anybody in Iraq right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I think people, if you recall, we discussed it already last Friday. I raised it about the ISIS. Right. Because they had held off the Iranian, the uh, Syrian army for four days. And I said, this is a very significant development. And I told it to other friends in Washington and elsewhere. This is not a new development. It, ha- it, it has taken new turns, and everybody was surprised by it. I think everybody. But they shouldn't have been surprised about the, the growth of these and the capacity of this offshoot terrorist organization. It you know, used to be um, al-Qaeda in, in uh, Iraq and al-Qaeda in, the, uh, in Syria and the Levant. Now it's ISIS. Uh, whether there's also still the ISIL is a is a question. But th- these guys are the most extreme terrorists. So much so that Al Qaeda disassociated from them. Uh, you know, in the areas under their control, and especially the city of Raqqa, which I've mentioned many times because it's in the oil industry. But it's where you have these camps to train uh, terrorists for attacks abroad, not in Syria. And not necessarily just in the Middle East, but to train these especially foreign terrorists who have come to fight in, in Syria, thousands of them, to, to train them for actions abroad. The, the, so the, uh, in Raqqa, the ISIS charges Christians a special Islamic tax. They execute people in the main squares. You can see the pictures in the Iraqi highway of the policemen one after another with their heads cut off. These are vicious terrorist groups. That's why guys run away from them. Uh, it's not an excuse. When generals you know, just take off their uniforms, when soldiers are selling their uniforms, when their weapons are turning over, and, and as soon as the weapons are, are captured, especially the more advanced ones, they ship them into Syria for their fighting there. Here they met almost no resistance, and you know they're not running around. They don't have airplanes. They're running around primarily on these souped-up uh, pickup trucks with machine guns uh, attached to them. They have some rockets. They have some other equipment, which uh, the source of which I think will become more apparent as we go along. Uh, but it's rather a crude operation, and they're able to take over a city like Mosul in in, in hours, and and uh, Tikrit and other places. Remember, this is the heart of the oil industry. Uh, we will see now more responses, perhaps. I think Iran, uh, General Soleimani is there, the, which means that the, uh, his head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard and, uh, will, be, will, uh, will be in Tehran, will be operating in, I'm sorry, Baghdad. Uh, and the, uh, you know, Iran is seeing this as, as a challenge. And, and in many respects, this may in fact be Saudi Arabia versus Iran that the Saudis are backing them as a Sunni group, ISIS, versus Iran, which has been increasingly uh, been dominant in, in Iraq, and Maliki is not only weak, but has been closely aligned with Iran. So this is part of the Sunni-Shiite conflict, and as I said many times here, you know that underlies right. so much of what of what is happening there. That's the and, nucleus of And Iran. now they're talking about the threat being against Jordan, but also Lebanon, Syria, Sinai, Gaza, we know that they've moved near the Golan. The ISIS troops have been near there, uh, and there are bases of, of Al-Qaeda and others there. 
Jordanians were pictured on a on a video uh, tearing up their passports and calling for the slaughter of Abdullah. They could easily move in that direction. They can move towards Baghdad. They can consolidate this area of uh, Syria and Lebanon that they're holding and want to create a new Islamist state there, which obviously becomes a very destabilize, additional destabilizing factor and won't end there. Now, if Hamas looks at this and they see these guys and their success, why would they not? And they can link up across Jordan, and Jordan be the be the carbon and all of this. If they see what kind of success, meaning that they're that they're able to associate with so many different countries or organizations, that the ISIS has been able to take major cities, move without international uh, uh, reaction, right. that everybody you know talks about it, and everybody all the front page newspaper articles. But what have they done so far? So the other side could do the same thing, and they, and they feel they can move ahead and. Can move ahead in the in the, the West Bank, and then they can do a squeeze play on on Jordan because Hamas has always said that Jordan should be part of the deal, and they want to take over uh, Jordan as well. I mean, it, it, it looks like a potential one big civil war coming up in the region. The region is in a civil war. That's why I kept saying it's an Arab volcano, and this is a new eruption of this Arab volcano. And if we don't take steps. First of all, I mean, part of the problem is that there are no good players in any of this. Right. Uh, we're going to see what Iran does, and uh, I had been questioning during the week why Iran was so quiet as they moved uh, gained in in Syria and then crossed the border in what is now a, a, almost protectorate of uh, of Iran and Maliki, uh, the Maliki regime, and certainly the Syrian regime, which they have said, you know, his victory is critical to them and. They, they see this in, in every respect as uh, affecting their security that, the, that they didn't act, and it may be that we'll see now that they will, will react in much, uh, in much stronger ways. But are the Saudis funding the ISIS? Did, was this their answer to, to the failure of the West and that they're trying to create a balance inside Syria by backing the ISIS against the Iranian-backed forces? Turkey is known to give them free passage, the ISAS fighters, people coming to volunteer, are known to be taking commercial flights to areas near the border and then just walking across. They pay a $40 bribe to a guard and walk into Syria. Does the U.S. have an obligation to uh, support Saudi Arabia in this, or do Saudi Arabians think that they that the U.S. has an obligation to support them? They felt that the United States has an obligation all along to, to be more active, to the failure to act in Syria and to, to activate our bomb at the time uh, was a critical threshold. They think that, that the United States and the West in general are going to capitulate on Iran. They have no belief that there will be a tough deal coming out of it. So they're taking their own actions, and they have the money, the independence to do it. Uh, when when uh, I know the Kuwaitis were, were in Iran now because they're looking at the tea leaves and saying, well, if we don't have a future, so they signed a six-point agreement with them. Um, Zarif turned down the invitation to, to Saudi Arabia, but others tell me that he will go, you know, at a more propitious time in the future because of negotiations. He couldn't go now. He could have gone if he wanted to, but and he may have been wanting to send a message. But all of these are indications that people are hedging their bets, that, that the countries no longer have confidence that the West will, will hold to the red lines that are established. and, and uh, They feel they have to choose sides. And they have to choose sides. And the ISIS is such a vicious thing. I mean, there is no black and white here. They, they would call the families 
of the of Iraqi soldiers that would confront them and tell them to dig their own graves, and then they would shoot them. They, they're vicious, and the uh, uh, they have become the most powerful of the jihadi groups in, in Syria. Perhaps the Al Qaeda has been in the decline, but these guys have been in, in the ascent. Uh, and and I don't know whether people just didn't take it seriously. It's not because people didn't know. The information uh, was there. Finally, is Australia going to suffer with the brand new way that they refer to Jerusalem instead of uh, occupied Jerusalem? They are being hit. I spoke to some Australian figures this week, officials, and uh, people, I hope, let their voices be heard about uh, this courageous move on the part of the uh, government. It wasn't meant as a political statement, but a statement of reality that you don't prejudge. You, you, it when it, and this applies only to East Jerusalem, uh, but to say that you, it should not be described, and they will not describe it, as occupied uh, territory. So the Palestinians have gone now to the Arab League. They're talking about sanctions and threats against uh, the government. The government seems to have, be standing by the position that they uh, adopted. Maybe the Canadians will follow and some others uh, to, to reinforce it. But, you know, if the world looks at the situation today and how much the focus on Israel, a building in its capital, in, in, even in Gilo, its cap, part of its capital, terrorism is spreading worldwide. The Rand Institute put out a study that showed the, that from, from 2007 to 2013, the numbers almost double of, of the number of Salafi-like terrorist organizations like ISIS. Certainly the number of attacks, I think there were 10,000 in 2013, 18,000 people killed, 30,000 uh, injured. Uh, and these are the numbers that they come to, and I'm, I believe the numbers certainly are higher, as we see with groups like ISIS, because a lot of the killing that goes on is not reported, it's not public. The, the challenge is uh, the universal challenge today of uh, terrorism, and when somebody takes a courageous stand like Australia, A, they should hear, B, the international community then comes down against them, and yeah. whether and we do not mobilize and we're not organizing against the true sources of terror, whether it's Hamas or ISIS or Iran. No question. Look forward to seeing you here next week, please, God. God willing. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Next week, our plan is, and I thank Malcolm for putting it into his plan, is uh, to have him in our studio here at JM in the AM, literally open up the phone lines once he gets in and keep them open until uh, the end of the show, just breaking for Rabbi Yudin, so that everybody out there gets this unique opportunity, which we only do every once in a while, uh, to ask whatever questions you have of uh, Malcolm Holmline. You'll control the show next week. Think of those good questions, as you listeners always do, and... Um, We'll open up the phone lines, please God, next Friday morning. J.M. and the A.M. on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shlach. Candle lighting at 8.08 on this Erev Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And again, a Mazel Tov going out to Jason Katz and to the uh, Katz fine and man families. Uh, Jason's Ufruf is this Shabbos, and we say Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. A reminder, next week is our app launch week. I know we've launched it already. But we're going to celebrate a little bit next week, to say the least. Make sure you have the NSN app in your phone, and you'll be ready to celebrate with us all through the week next week. Details, of course, coming up right here 
at JM in the AM. Naomi Nachman follows at 9 a.m. with Table for Two and then amazing programming all day long with a phenomenal Erev Shabbos music stream all the way until candlelighting time. Make sure to be tuned in. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night starting at 10 Eastern Time. Matis with JM Sunday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at JM in the AM. Dot org. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Shlach. Pasha Shlach, according to the Chinuch, contains three mitzvos, two positive, including the mitzvos of Chala and Sitzis, and one prohibition also contained within the last paragraph, Losusuru Achrei Levavchem Bachrei Pasha Shlach remains one of the most challenging and difficult parshios of the Torah. And as I mention it annually, it doesn't get easier from year to year. The obvious question is, how could it be that, as David HaMelech says in Tilim 106, that literally they showed a disdain for the very special land of Eretz Yisrael. The first half of the parsha deals with the spies that the Jewish people send. There are 12 altogether. 10 bring back a negative report. 2, Kolev and Yoshua, are most positive. The people, unfortunately, accept the bad and evil report of the ten spies, the Torah tells us that they cried that night upon hearing the report of these spies. God says to the Jewish people, you cried for naught, I will give you something to cry about. That night, our rabbis tell us, was none other than the night of Tish'ab'av, the ninth of Av, when in our history, God orchestrated that this be the night of crying in the future that both the first and second Beis Hamikdash temples were destroyed on this day, as well as other national calamities that occurred on Tish'ab'av. I'd like to, however, focus this morning on one phrase that the Maraglim, the spies, used in casting the very gloomy picture upon the Jewish nation. The Torah tells us in chapter 13, Pasuk 32, but see you and it means that they brought forth to the children of Israel an evil report on the land that they had spied out, saying, Ha'aretz, the land, the land through which we have passed to spy it out, Eretz, Ocheles, 
Yoshvehohi. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. The Gemara in Sota 35a gives us the background to this charge and tells us that, and Rashi quotes part of this as well, that as they traveled from place to place, wherever they went, they saw that the people were busy burying their dead. And it happened to have been a leader of each community had passed on at that time. And therefore, seeing funeral after funeral after funeral, they drew the conclusion, Eretz, literally a land that devours its inhabitants. Says the Gemara, Amar HaKadosh Baruch God said, Ani chashavti olatova. I meant it only for their good. But vahim, but they, chashvulara. They misinterpreted, they misread it. God meant it for good that this way, ten, excuse me, twelve men, walking together, dressed differently, speaking differently, should not even be as much as noticed or molested or bothered because the people were so distracted, taking care of burying their leaders. So, again, how were they to know, you and I can ask? Were they really so wrong in reporting what they saw and saying, unfortunately, it's a land that devours the dead? I saw a very interesting answer suggested by the late Rav Yaakov Naiman, in his Sefer, Darche Musar. And he has the following interesting development that there are no less than three different levels of emuna, of faith. The first level of faith is to believe that God is the Creator. And this, he says, indeed, is not so challenging and difficult, because if one thinks about it for a moment, the same way that if I were to tell you Do you know how the first watch came into being? Somebody was trying, experimenting, and he had all the pieces on a table, and his wild, young grandchild comes in, knocks over the table, all the pieces fall to the floor, and they fall together in such a way that they fall literally as a unit, and this is how the watch was made. You'll look at me very strange, and you'll say... I don't really think so, and you're right. Because, to use that expression, if there's a watch, there had to be a watchmaker. All the more so, if there is a sophisticated world, there has to be a world maker. Good. This is the first stage of emuna of faith. Beyond that, the next shlav or level we can say is to believe in a force, namely HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, who is involved with Ashkocha Pratis, which means that he personally is involved in each person's life. What does that mean? 
It means if someone has success in business, it's not because, after all, kolchi v'otsem yadi osali es hachayil hazeh, which means literally, my strength and my knowledge and my acumen has literally gotten for me all my success, but rather I recognize that my success, sure, I have to do my hishtadlus, I have to put my effort into this, but ultimately I recognize that the blessings that I have, and indeed all that I have, comes from on high. This is the second stage of emuna of faith. But the highest level of faith suggests Rav Naiman is when the reality questions your faith. In other words, when that which you see, in this case here, case in point, they are busy burying their dead, how can you still believe at that time that this is a good land? And the answer that we have to give clearly is as follows. If this would have been their first encounter with their knowledge of the land, you might be right. But let us not forget that at the burning bush, God says to Moshe in chapter 3 in Shmos, God says in Pasuk 8, for a raid Lahatsilo Miyad Mitzrayim. This is the game plan. I shall descend to rescue it, the Jewish nation, from the hand of Egypt. And listen carefully, Lahaloso Minoretzahi to literally to raise it, to bring it up from that land, El Eretz Tova Urachava to a good and spacious land. El Eretz Zavas Cholov Udvash to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God had already promised that the land is good. So if God has promised that the land is good, even if you have every reason to believe your eyes in front of you are telling you that it's not good, this is ultimately the highest test and form of faith that even when it goes against the apparent reality, still... I believe with perfect faith. And this is, again, what many literally went to the crematoria with the words, on their lips. My goodness, if you were to ask them, do you see God at this moment? The answer is, probably not. But anima min bemuna shleima, and those words were so true, because look at Am Yisrael today, and look at the bigger picture, and therefore we must go back to Parshas Vayeshev, where the scene 
in chapter 37 in Bereshis Pasuk 14 the brothers listen carefully now are about to sell Yosef and what happens is Yaakov says to Yosef go and check on your brothers and literally he sent him from the valley of Hebron and Rashi questions is Hebron in a valley isn't it on a mountain and therefore so Rashi says the word Amek valley depth refers to the Eitzah Amuka from the deep council in other words that what's happening here is the higher form of Emuna. You and I looking at this story, what a tragedy. Yosef is about to be sold. But now we know really that this is all God's manifestation. This is all His direction. And this is to bring the people down to Egypt in the most sophisticated way. That Yosef should be the Viceroy of Mitzrayim, etc. I believe the lesson that emerges from this is such a powerful one. Each and every one of us in our own personal lives has experienced a burning bush. What does that mean? We've experienced without a question God in our lives. We've experienced a divine wink, whether it is in terms of how we have succeeded personally in business, whether it is the way we met our spouse. Each and every one of us had those moments where we knew that God was with us. He plays an intrinsic, an intricate part of our life. Whether it is that you were laid off from your job literally a day or two before the World Trade Center was hit by the plane and your office was above the place that you couldn't have gotten out and when you got that notice shortly before that fatal day imagine how you felt and afterwards how you felt this is Parshash Shlach and this is to teach us that each and every one of us faces from time to time the Eretz Ocheles Yoshvera in our lives. The challenge that seems things are not going exactly the way we would like them to go and even the way we think they should go. Shashlach reminds us that faith begins with believing He's the Creator. Faith takes us to the next level. He's involved in our lives. But most of all, I believe with perfect faith that there is a master plan and that there is something way beyond our understanding, namely, Erfirt the Welt. God directs the world. 
what a powerful personal lesson emerges from Parshas Shlach. Shabbat Shalom to all. JM in the AM, Friday morning broadcast here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Leora Tedji is in the New York area. She is uh, always working very hard to keep our Mayor Ubracha going. Many of you are familiar with her incredible work. We actually broadcasted uh, from there a few months back in Yerushalayim, and she continues on a weekly basis and on a daily basis to provide meals and uh, Shabbos food and Yuntif food for those who are in need. Leora Tedji, welcome back to JM in the AM. Welcome, welcome. How are you, Nachum? Baruch Hashem, it's wonderful to speak to you. Tell us what's happening at Or Mayor Bracha in Yerushalayim. Baruch Hashem, Or Mayor Bracha, Baruch Hashem, grow and grow, Baruch Hashem. Now we have Zrat Hashem to leave the office in one of August, and with all the kids corner, it's, uh, we talk about uh, 50 kids, they come every day to eat uh, lunch and uh, they do homework and we help them. And uh, in the holiday we buy them clothing and shoes and we not have uh, where to go. So uh, we're looking for uh, generous people, they can help us. Uh, we want to uh, put the children in the new place in uh, near Arzea and uh, so that means that the current location where you feed these children, many of them orphans, and where you are able to take care of them on a daily basis, you're going to have to move out of that location yes. in Yerushalayim in the next few weeks, and you need to go and, I assume, rent a brand new place, right? Yes, not next week, in one in August, August. Yeah, I said in the next few weeks, right, at some point in the next few weeks before August 1st. Leora Tedji is with us, our Mayor Bracha in Yerushalayim. So not only are you asking people to give generously so that you can continue to give people food on a weekly basis, every week for Shabbat and, of course, for Yom Tov, etc., but now you have an additional challenge, and that is that you need money in order to uh, to get a new place for the operation to uh, to work out of. Right. How do people do this? Can they contribute to the website? Should they call you on the telephone? How do you want people to do this? They can go on the website, www.terror-victims.org.il, or they can call me to my cell, 347-255-6723. All right, and you're here until Tuesday in the New York area, right? All of our wonderful listeners, you have uh, heard over the years uh, the incredible work that Leora Tedji has done with our Mayor Bracha in Yerushalayim, and we're encouraging everybody to continue to help her uh, weekly operation um, thrive. And the one of the best ways to do that is to go to the website. You could see photos and videos there of what goes on on a regular basis, and there's plenty of opportunity to sponsor a week or a program. Uh, and to contribute there on the site, terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. I remind you that our Mayor Bracha started as an organization literally to help uh, terror victims and their family when they have to get back on their feet after one of those attacks in the early 2000s. And those of you who are able to um, participate with the Oriteji in literally finding and helping to finance a brand-new location, 
there is a uh, an area in Yerushalayim where she and her organization feeds um, 50 youngsters every single day and provides clothing and trips for them, uh, many of them orphans, and they are being forced out of their location in Yerushalayim August the 1st. So if you could help in any way, either with space, a recommendation, or with money to help them uh, uh, relocate and find themselves in a brand new place in the center of Jerusalem, it would be very helpful. You can contact Leora Tedji directly. She is here in the New York area until Tuesday at area code 347-255-6723. Again, that's 347-255-6723. Leora, even though you're in the United States, everybody got what they needed yesterday in Yerushalayim, right? Yes, we gave the food uh, like I, I'm uh, there. And also, Nahum, if you can, to tell to the people that you was in the organization, you see all the food and everything, and if you talk about that, you're the best uh, witness now. Well, I had the opportunity, as I said, we did, and right after I saw it, we actually did a show from uh, from Armeo Bracha that day. It is uh, not only uh, uh, an unbelievably large and comprehensive operation, but a very organized one as well. And uh, if you think the pre-Shabbos Thursday operation that you could see on a weekly basis is something to behold, you should see what goes on before Yuntif, uh, before Pesach, for instance, or uh, uh, as we'll get closer to Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, we'll certainly remind everybody about the cause. It is just unbelievable the amount of stuff and uh, the number of families that depend on Orme or Ubracha. And I have seen it with my own eyes, and I encourage everybody out there to go see it in Yerushalayim and certainly to help Leora Tedji continue this very holy work. Terror-victims.org.il, or you can call her at 347-255-6723, especially if you could be of help with this desperate situation. They need a place in Yerushalayim to move to. They'll be out of their current location for what they do on a daily basis uh, starting August the 1st, 347-255-6723. And I hope a lot of people out there respond and help keep our mayor bracha going. Thank you so, so, so much. Hashem should bless you, give you a tzlach Amen. And I want to tell also thank you for family Poznanski on Avenue M. All the time when I came to America, they make a chnasat orchim for me, and they do a lot. Hashem should bless them. Give them bracha v'atzlacha, wherever they go. Hashem be with them, and they have a big, big, big blessing in their life. Amen. Tadara Baliora, Liora Tedji, Armeor Bracha, JM in the AM. Shri, 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 Shri,
In the AM, Ashrei Mi, Michal Przanski, he'll be here Monday. Today he has the big album signing at the Judaica Place on Avenue M. He'll be here Monday at JM in the AM in hour number three. Looking forward to greeting Michal Przanski with the brand new CD. Uh, don't forget, next week is App Week. Tune in. should be a lot of fun. Make sure you have the NSN, Nachum Siegel Network app. You'll be able to participate with us and have all that fun. 
who would want to miss having fun? Uh, so App Week begins on Monday. Naomi Nachman is uh, not only going to be heard at 9 a.m. with a brand new edition of Table for Two, she'll be seen at 9 a.m. If you go to NachumSiegel.com, you can actually see the show as it takes place. Uh, it's right there on the homepage. Enjoy it. Always a great production with Naomi Nachman and Table for Two. Uh, Rami, tomorrow night was Saturday Night Seagull. I want to thank him for sitting in yesterday during the live lunch. Did quite a job, and I thank him. And Amatis has uh, JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning, 7 a.m. until 9 a.m. on the stream at jmnam.org. I thank him in advance. Oh, by the way, and I, I forgot to mention this, and I, I wish I would have remembered earlier. Matis on Sunday is doing all father's songs. Anything to do with fathers, with dads. Matis, Sunday morning between 7 and 9. And I hear he's got a broad uh, notion of what it means, a father's song. So tune in on Father's Day this coming Sunday to hear what Matis puts together in regard to a Father's Day song selection here at... Uh, JM in the AM dot org. Candle lighting at uh, 808 on this era of Shabbos. Many, many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Time to say good Shabbos with journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Naomi Nachman next at jmtheam.org and at nachomsegel.com in video form. With Table for Two, plenty of great music all day long on our stream with our Erev Shabbos music mix. Make sure to be tuned in. Avrami tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. On Sunday, it'll be JM Sunday with Matis between 7 and 9 a.m. Monday, we're back. Michal Brzezanski will visit us here at JM in the a.m. It'll be App Week. Tune in early Monday morning for all those details. And um, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, a week from today, Malcolm Holmline in studio takes your questions. A week from today, starting in the 7 o'clock hour. Till Monday, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.